0: Podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Well, Christ is risen, Church. Is risen Amen. Uh, today. We're going to be jumping in back into the book of Matthew. We started the year off with a number of messages uh, from Matthew. And today is what we would call the third Sunday of Epiphany, which it's not a major Christian holiday or anything. But what the season typically has been historically in the church is the season where Jesus is revealed as the Christ. Where so in in Christmas season we celebrate that God has come, but when Jesus is a itty bitty baby, not very many people know that this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. So in this season in the church calendar, we spend a few weeks where we read passages that illuminate who Jesus is, and they reveal Jesus as the one who is the prophesied Messiah, throughout Jewish and. Uh, Israelite history. So today, uh, we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 4 in just a a few minutes. I have a very simple message, and for those of us who have been following Jesus for any number of years, I think that this is probably not going to be really profound, but more a reminder of what it is that we have been called to in following Christ. Before that, I just want to give two ideas here about the book of Matthew. So one of the things that I like to nerd out on is when I preach, I do a little bit of a little bit of history. I'm not really a history nerd or a history buff, but I like to begin to immerse myself in the context of the book, especially when it's one of the major Pauline epistles or one of the gospels where We're asking the questions, what is different about this one from the other ones? What contextually is different? Was this written to a specific group of people? Or is this written at a time in history when something really dramatic is either about to happen or just happening? And I think that that can provide us a window into, especially with the synoptic gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three gospels, why do they tell a lot of the same stories but slightly differently? And why do they, some of them leave out certain things and others add in certain things or emphasize certain things. So a couple of things about Matthew, we've already preached a number of weeks on Matthew, but the next few weeks are also going to be about Matthew unless pastor calls an audible could happen. But if, if that doesn't happen, we're going to be in Matthew for a few weeks. And one thing is uh, it's important to remember that Matthew is writing to a primarily Jewish crowd which is not the case for all four of the Gospels. And he's writing specifically to people who were were born and raised with the Torah, who were raised in this strict Jewish faith. And his big question is, how is God going to bring about the world to be the way that he wants it to be? This is the question that he's asking as he's writing to Jews. So you are expecting this Messiah, Jewish people. How is it that God is going to bring about what he wants in the world? And his response that we see reiterated, not verbatim, it's, it's hidden in the text, but the response that we see throughout the text of Matthew is that God does this by revealing the kingdom of God ruled by its King, Jesus Christ. So Matthew is continually confounding the Jews, saying, you knew this was coming, you were expecting this, you just had no idea it was gonna look like this. You thought this, you thought the Sabbath was purposed for this, but really the Sabbath is purposed for this. You thought the Messiah was gonna come and rule in Jerusalem, but really the Messiah is gonna come to Galilee, the region that is Jewish and Gentile mixed. And so he's continually confounding, this is what your history, Points to it just doesn't look the way that you thought it was going to look. And this passage that we're going to read from Matthew chapter 4. Thank you, Caitlin. Caitlin is such a pro. I didn't give her notes, I only gave her passages. So she's doing this on the fly. Great job. This passage we're going to read in just a second is from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So this comes right after Jesus is baptized by John. And then Jesus is led by the spirit out into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. And then he's tempted and we've just been fasting. So be on your guard this (laughs) afternoons. That's kind of a joke, but also kind of not. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what to do with that. You do with that what you will. Um, But then right after this comes the famous passage of the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to preach about over the next couple of weeks. So let's open together, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read verses 12 to 23. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is... By the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, which is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. To fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, and this comes right out of Isaiah chapter nine, a direct quote. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. This is where the epiphany comes in. On those in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And mark this in your minds. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and left their father and followed him. Last verse, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I have a simple message, and I have three points. I'm going to give you the points up front, uh, but we're going to dive right in. This is the shortest introduction I've ever given. You can congratulate me later. <clears throat> I have three points, and these are points, like I said, that are not new, but they are something I think that we need to be reminded of throughout our walk. Point number one is that the light of Jesus reveals the kingdom of God as true reality. The light of Jesus reveals the kingdom of God as true reality. The second point is following Jesus will disrupt everything in our lives. It's simple. I didn't say it was easy, but it is simple to comprehend. And the third point is that following Jesus will lead to a cross. And then we're going to come to the table. There is hope in this message. I promise you, it's not—it's not hopeless. But the truth is that Jesus reveals the kingdom of God as true reality, which for those of us who are believers, who have been walking with the Lord, we are continually learning to see the kingdom. And this doesn't come to us all at once. I do believe that there is is a moment when the spirit illuminates our heart, where Christ uh, becomes the Lord of our lives. We would say the Lord and Savior. If you were evangelical, you, you prayed a prayer welcoming Jesus to be the King of our lives. We're saying, when we do that, we're saying, Jesus, come reign in me and allow your governance to govern everything in my life. That is what we are praying when we make that kind of declaration. We're not just saying, save me from hell. We're saying, Lord, from this moment on, we want everything that we think, say, and do to be governed by the reign of your kingdom, which of course, we still live in this world. And in this world, there is darkness everywhere. It even says uh, in one of the epistles That the enemy, that the Satan, walks around masquerading as an angel of light. So it's not always easy to differentiate between darkness and light. Which is why when Jesus came, the people that were confounded the most were the Pharisees. The people that had spent the most amount of time studying his word had formed the strongest expectations of what he was going to look like and what he was going to do. And therefore they had the most amount of trouble accepting his reign in their lives because of their strong expectations, because of their study, because they had immersed themselves and also because they allowed those things to harden their hearts. So I wanna say this way, light both exposes and reveals. And the difference is whether something is good or not. If light shines in a dark room and there is something good there, we would say it revealed it. If there's a $100 bill in a dark room that you, the light comes on and you find the $100 bill, you would say it, the light revealed that there was a $100 bill. There's a positive connotation to that. But if there's something negative happening in the darkness, it is exposing. The light is exposing. And here's the thing. When Jesus comes into the world, he does both. His light shines on everyone and everything. And we don't have eyes to see it, which is why we sing songs like, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart. Because we're asking that Jesus would illuminate the things in us, around us, and the people around us that are both good and bad. Lord, expose the darkness that we can repent in it. Of it, If it is in us, expose the darkness that we can be healed of it, but also reveal what is good, reveal the places where your kingdom is at work, reveal the areas around us that we think are darkness and the people that we think are full of darkness, that really you are at work all in and around. So Jesus is the light that exposes and reveals. The light exposes the kingdoms of this world. And here's the thing with them, the kingdoms of this world seek to use and dispose of things as commodities for gain and advancement. But the light of Christ reveals the way of the kingdom, which is to heal and uplift because of God's pure love for his creation. And I'm going to compare and contrast here over the next couple of minutes. So I just wanted to share that, get it out. But there is that first verse which we think is just a throwaway historical marker and it's verse 12 when jesus heard that john had been put in prison he returned to galilee why was john put in prison we don't know in matthew's gospel at this point but we know from reading all four gospels we have them all we know that john was put in prison for prophesying and calling out herod's sin so what did herod do to john He had him put in prison and then he disposed of him because the powers and the principalities that rule this world seek to use people until they can no longer be used and then they dispose of them. And that's not just ancient Rome or ancient Egypt. Things look a little bit different now, but if we're honest, our economics, our politics, they work very similarly. They work all around the world all countries all around the world, the powers that be seek to gain for themselves. I'm not saying every person in politics is evil. I'm saying that the principalities and the powers of darkness seek to use politics and people and economies and people in power that are not in politics, people with money, people who are in power in any way, the powers and principalities of darkness seek to use these systems to use and dispose of people which is why we see Jesus doing the exact opposite so Jesus doesn't go to Jerusalem the center of power in Palestine he goes to Galilee Galilee was a place on the fringe north of Israel. Galilee, it says Galilee of the Gentiles. So Galilee is a mixed area of Jews and Gentiles, very, very poor, one of the most taxed areas by Caesar in the Jewish area, and they had historically been pawns of Assyria and then Rome. They were basically people who the government, when they needed manpower, when they needed money, when they needed people to literally just use for whatever they needed, Zebulun and Naphtali. That's why it quotes Isaiah chapter 9, these verses here about Zebulun and Naphtali, a light has come. So Jesus doesn't go to Jerusalem to take up power like we think and like the disciples thought that he would, like the Pharisees thought that he would. He goes up north to the area of Galilee to the lowly to the least of these, not just to the Jews for it was prophesied over and over and over again that God's kingdom was gonna come to the Jews for the sake of the world but they still didn't seem to get it. So Jesus goes up once again to the land that is heavily populated by the Jews and the Gentiles to start his ministry. What does this tell us about Jesus? That he's not interested in using us as resources. Jesus is interested in restoring and redeeming the lowly for the sake of loving communion. I mean, what, a God who creates everything from nothing can't really need anything especially us right like we know how broken we are we know just how poor we are we know how twisted we can be and the truth is we're probably much more broken and twisted than we think we are and God calls us anyway not to use us to come alongside of us and to partner with us So the light reveals the way of the kingdom, which is to heal and uplift because of God's pure love for all of his creation. Jesus seeks out those who have nothing to offer to reveal that God is not after usefulness. God is after loving communion. And the wilderness temptations that we didn't read this morning, but they are in the passage right before this in Matthew chapter four, the wilderness temptations reveal this very thing. That Satan seeks to tempt Jesus into being useful. Jesus, you have all the power in your hands. Turn this into bread. Turn this stone into bread. But Jesus proves among other things that he's not into using things or people for his own advancement or selfish gain. So what does this reveal about God? God is not just making a statement here by choosing the poor and the outcast to go to. It's being revealed that God's nature opposes and condemns the powers and principalities and broken systems which create people who are poor and outcast at all. Hear that. God in Christ is condemning the systems that create these divisions where uh, where some can dominate others. And as people who are called into the kingdom of God, we have to recognize that Jesus over and over and over again goes to the lowly, goes to the broken, goes to the outcast, goes to regions that historically have been dominated by oppressive societies. And Jesus goes to that place to start his ministry. And as we read at the end, that's the place that he launches his healing ministry Isn't it appropriate that God goes to the people who had been abused the most and begins walking around preaching the gospel, which means the good news, and begins healing? Point number two, following Jesus will disrupt everything. I think it is easy for us to read this passage of the calling of the disciples and not take seriously that they left their nets, their boat, and their father at the call of a rabbi, they didn't know because Jesus had just come to Galilee. It's not like Jesus had been based there for 30 years. Jesus was in Nazareth prior to this. Jesus comes to Galilee and calls these disciples. And one of the things that commentators are quick to point out is that this here, the um, my little ribbons getting in the way let me get let me get rid of the ribbon here <clears throat> that matthew is emphasizing just how powerful the words of jesus are that they respond not because they're convinced or on their own volition but because the words of jesus when spoken as a declaration and an invitation are so powerful that we cannot not respond and that is one of the things among others that matthew is emphasizing but think about this. So we pastor preached the first couple of weeks about the Magi, about Mary. Think about just how disrupted every person's life that Jesus comes into in the book of Matthew. So it starts with, it starts with Mary and Joseph, and then these Magi who are incredibly far away, and then John the Baptist, And now these disciples, every person's life that Jesus has anything to do with, their life gets upended. And in the moment, it always seems incredibly inconvenient because it is. It's really inconvenient when you've been training and lived your whole life as a fisherman and Jesus says, follow me and leave it all. I mean, think, put yourself in that context as I meditated on this, I meditated on this, they left their nets. What might nets represent to us? What they did, what they possessed, how they understood society to function. Their nets were their means of making money. Their nets were their occupation. It was their way of finding purpose in their world. Their boats, how they moved and got along, how they connected with other people. And this society, tradesmen, they 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 didn't view themselves quite as much as competition like we do here in America. But the fishermen were friends with fishermen and their boats and other fishermen, that was how they found their community in their society. So they're leaving their boats, but their boats are representative of how they get around in Galilee and the people that they get around with. So they leave their way of making money. They leave their way of getting around in society, they leave their community and then they leave their father. Who they were, where they came from and think about this, the security of their inheritance and their father's blessing. I mean, they were Jewish. So Jesus is calling them to leave these things and I wanna say here before, before I am misheard, this doesn't most likely mean that they never had any interactions with their father ever again. Most likely, they came back many, many times. But I think what we can be sure of is that when Jesus called them away and they came back, they never related to any of these things the same way ever again. That there are things in our lives that Jesus calls us away from not to lay down forever, but so that we can reimagine what those things are intended for. Certain things in our lives have a tendency to be idols. And maybe I'm not saying that these were their idols, but for us, there are really good things that Jesus will call us away from only to bring us back to at a later time in our lives. But we'll relate to those things differently. And I know that that has been true in my life. I think that that is one of the things, even that uh, Pastor Christie said um, to our staff earlier this week, that there are things that some of us have laid down that the Lord is going to bring us back to. But we can be certain that when Jesus has called us away from something or we laid it down, but we've been with Jesus, that when we come back to those things, we'll relate to them differently. We must be willing to leave everything To rethink everything. And even when it looks foolish to the people around us. Guys, I want to say, among many other things this morning, that this doesn't stop once we say yes to Jesus. Like there is this initial laying down and an initial abruption in our lives. No, this is what it is to follow him, period. To follow Jesus is to open yourself up to be continually disrupted, to continually rethink things over and over and over again. Things that we had written off, people we had written off, ways of thinking that we thought were ludicrous before. Jesus might call us to rethink those things. I mean, look at what happens throughout just the uh, the gospel of Matthew alone between Jesus and the Pharisees and Jesus and the disciples. He teaches, he does these miracles. The Pharisees are amongst the crowd. They confront him on something. And essentially Jesus says, God, you guys never understand. You thought the Sabbath was about not breaking kernels of grain? The Sabbath is about people. And then to to the disciples, every time they do something, they're like, Jesus, that was awesome. What was it? (laughs) what exactly did it mean? Why exactly did you heal her? Like what? Yeah, all of those parables about the sower and the seed and then later in Matthew, all those judgment parables, we're not gonna talk about those today. They might be coming later this year. All those judgment parables, what what exactly do those mean, right? Following Jesus will require that we be open to rethinking things in light of his illumination all the time throughout our lives. So, number three, following Jesus will lead to a cross. And I thought about being really cute and saying it will lead through a cross because we know resurrection's on the other side, which is also true. <clears throat> we don't know this from the passage, of course. In Matthew chapter four, Jesus isn't already on the cross. But part of this relearning and being disrupted over and over and over again is in part Jesus preparing his disciples for the ultimate end, for his ultimate end, but then also for many of their end, which is to die a death of persecution, to die as martyrs, as witnesses to the kingdom of God. Because when Jesus reveals things in his kingdom and exposes the things in the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of darkness doesn't just sit by and go, oh, 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 got me. That's not the way it works. The kingdom of darkness pushes back against anything that threatens which is why Jesus died on a cross. That wasn't just a mechanism of God the Father. Hmm, Let me see, how do I want to save the world? You know what? I'm going to kill my son. No, that's not how that worked. It worked because God came in Christ to reveal the kingdom of God the way it had always been and to reveal the nature of the Father, how he had always been. And when that happens in darkness, when light shines in darkness, darkness does all it can to snuff out the light. Thank God that the light will not be overcome by darkness. The light we're not we're we're going to get there in the table when I when I bring us to the table. <clears throat> but I do want to read a verse from one of the other lectionary passages that is 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18. We are almost done, y'all. This is Paul in one of the most beautiful and powerful pun intended passages. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are, keyword, being saved, it is the power of God. I saw something I had never seen before. I think I had always read that as the cross and resurrection are the power of God. I had always implied in my mind that the cross was in some way, it, it, was only, it was essential to leading up to the resurrection, but that the resurrection is really the display of the power of God. And I think that's not what Paul is saying here. And I confirmed it with Chris Green. <laughs> that's, that is not what Paul is saying. Paul says that the message of the cross is foolishness to the world, but to we who are being saved, The cross is the power of God. How is that possible? How is God taking on human flesh, coming as a light in the midst of darkness, and ultimately living unto a death where the religious, the political, and the social powers say, we can't have this threat anymore. We must crucify him. So much so to where they even get the Jewish people on board. And everybody, except basically Mary and the disciples, are against Jesus. So Jesus is crucified, and that is the display of the power of God. What does this reveal to us? We're talking about light and epiphany. I think what this reveals to us, among other things, now now hear me, we can never exhaust the meaning of the cross and say, oh, this is exactly what it is. The cross is a mystery, which doesn't mean we can't know anything. It means it's endlessly knowable. It means that there are always new things about the incarnation, about the cross and the resurrection and this table and worshiping together of the people of God, these things that are mysteries. It means that the more we learn, the more there is to know about this God. So I think one of the things that is revealed on the cross as the power of God That God comes and takes on flesh and is willing for us to kill him. He would rather allow us to kill him and with his last words breathe out forgiveness on us than to defend himself to preserve his own reputation. That the power of God is that when we've done everything wrong that we can do, when we have exhausted the negative powers into God, he absorbs them and then ultimately comes out forgiving and comes out on the other side as the resurrected one. The cross is not just God God killing his, well, it is not at all God killing his son so that our sins can be wiped away. It is him absorbing the sins of all of these entities and powers into himself and conquering death through death. He takes them into the grave and he says, my kingdom is a better way. My kingdom doesn't require killing people who are threats. My kingdom exposes the powers of darkness and ultimately the light breaks through on the third day and reveals that God was revealed on that cross and that God was revealed in the resurrection. And this is the foolishness of the message that we have chosen to follow, that we believe that God is revealed on the cross as one who is lowly, who is an outcast. I mean, can you think of a dumber way? Really? Like, can you think of a dumber way to reveal who God really is? And I'm only saying that because the disciples say it because everybody in the gospel thought that. If you and I were there, we would have thought that. We only know better now because he's already resurrected. That's the only reason we know better. Think of how foolish this is. Guys, Paul calls it foolishness. This is foolishness. But if we are going to follow Jesus, we're going to follow him into a life of foolishness. We're gonna follow him to a cross. And I think that there are two ways in which we follow Jesus to the cross. One is we're continually reminded of his cross and we're saying that we hang the entire faith on believing that the cross reveals the power of God. That's one way that we are led to the cross. But then another way that we are led to the cross is that we are all called to our own crosses. Now, our crosses that we carry and the crosses that we bear do not do the same thing that Jesus's cross did. Jesus's cross did what he could only do once and for all, But if we live as light among darkness, we will face persecution. We will face difficulty and struggle. We will face the people around us looking at us going, that seems really foolish. And when that happens in the back of your mind, you need to remind yourself, yeah, following after Jesus leads to a cross and the cross is foolishness. At the end of Matthew, I saw this this morning, actually. I usually don't amend my notes the day of. But this morning I was reading at the end of Matthew. And it's just before the end. We don't have to put this on the screen. I I just want you to hear it. So right after the resurrection. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. And greetings, he said. (laughs) He said. Greetings. The resurrected Christ sends greetings. (laughs) They came to him, clasped his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee for there they will see me. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus dies on a hill outside of Jerusalem. But he see, when the women see him, he says, go and tell my disciples To go see me in Galilee. And I think one of the things that is happening here is that Jesus is reminding them of the place that they were called. That Jesus is reminding them of the life that they had, but the life that they have now been called into. That Jesus is reminding them of the people that they have been called to. The place that he started his ministry was not in the center of power in Jerusalem but it was among these weak and desolate and overtaxed and overburdened people in Galilee. And so Jesus says to the women to tell the disciples, have them meet me there. So then they meet him there and he gives them the great commission. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Most likely the same mountain where he gives the Sermon on the Mount, which we're gonna begin next week. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. I'd like to invite the communion attendants to come. Church as a reminder, much in the same way that Jesus called those disciples after all they had been through. They've been through miracles, they've been through teachings, they've been through parables they understood and didn't understand. They've seen Jesus do all kinds of things that eventually led him to a cross. And then eventually Jesus is resurrected on the third day and he brings them back to the place where it all started as a reminder that they had been called, not because they were perfect. When they were called, they were fishermen. They really didn't offer much, but it's also a reminder that they weren't called for their usefulness. They were called because God loved them and God loved the people that they were connected to. And I think that is partly what is happening for us every week when we come to this table that we are coming back to the place that reminds us of where our faith begins. That our faith begins with a Christ who came and lived perfectly, who allowed himself to be crucified, beaten, broken, wear a crown of thorns, mocked as a king, gave himself up for us. So when we come to this table this morning, I pray that Jesus, his light is revealed in each of our lives. And the things that need to be exposed, let them be exposed. But do not be afraid, for he is with you always, even to the end of the age. Church, let us stand together. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.